For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Hello again. What have you been up to? I'm still in my office. (laughs) In another life, pre-COVID-19, I would have been at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit today, damn it. (laughs) What are you going to do? I decided to celebrate instead of being downhearted. And I'm doing that by sharing this interview with one of my favourite Danish brands, Gani. Gani is run by husband and wife duo Ditter and Nikolai Refstrup. And last time I was in town in January, they invited me over and we recorded at their place. We talked about fashion shows, climate action, and what the 2020s might mean. I asked them for tips on how to work together when you're in a relationship. And we also talked about the evolution of sustainable fashion and what it needs to do to have the biggest impact. I love this quote from Nikolai. I've been eating organic food for maybe 25 years. For the first 15 years, it was kind of cumbersome and it was like horrible and I couldn't get proper good food anywhere. But the last 10 years, you've been able to buy like a great organic product at reasonable prices, even at a discount supermarket chain. So it just became convenient. And the second it's convenient, you find the consumers will adopt it. It's very much about convenience when it gets to like the 95% of us that are not activists or idealists. Okay, so you might know Gani for its Instagrammability, shall we say. Lots of cool girls wear it. But underpinning all that is a very big idea and maybe also a very Danish one. That of cool, accessible design that doesn't trash the planet, doesn't cost a fortune and that you don't have to think too much about in terms of sustainability because you can trust they're doing that work for you. That is the long-term goal for Gani. Ditta and Nikolai are the first to say that they're not perfect, The whole industry has loads more work to do on this, but I reckon there's lots to learn from their approach. I'd love to know what you think. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mrs. Press and online at www.thewardrobecrisis.com. Ditta, Nikolai, I'm in your house. Who was I just met at the door by? My mum and dad. No. The little one. one. Rita. Rita, Sophie. And how old is Rita? She's almost three years old. Thank you so much for welcoming me the day after your presumably giant party and hangover. How are you right. doing? Very well. My voice is a little rusty. I mean, I'm slightly hungover, but also uh, we had a karaoke booth that where I spent probably three, four hours straight. So that's why. What were you singing? I think I sung, well, one of my favorite songs was Creep. Oh, yeah. Radiohead. You sang that yeah. many times. Yeah, actually. exactly. I More think than once. At least four times. So. Yeah. And I took off my clothes and stuff. It was a perfect night, I mean, from my perspective. I didn't see you that much. Though. Oh, yeah, I did. I was singing Carly Simon, You're So Wayne. That's oh, lovely. That's, that's a good one. I sing that when yeah. I do the housework. I love it. That's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> so this really makes me happy because when I think about Gany, I think about positivity, fun. It's fun. It's beautiful clothes, but it's actually really good energy stuff. And last night... The reason why you're having a party is that last night you closed Copenhagen Fashion Week with full winter 2020, autumn 2020. And the energy in that room was major. People were cheering. Thanks. Yeah, we kind of felt it. How many people, roughly? There was 350 yeah. guests at the show. Literally behind me, I don't know who they were, there was like a whole row of people that every exit they were cheering. Oh, yeah. oh fantastic. Awesome. That's what we want in the room. Good energy and a lot of positivity and happy faces. Now, on every seat was a newspaper that you'd printed 
And on the back it reads, what do you think the 20s are going to be like? Mm-hmm. So I have to start by asking you, what do you think? Do you want to do a best case and a worst case scenario? Who wants to take the best case? I'm going to take the best. I'm trying to be like the positive one in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean, the world is so crazy right now. So you, it's easy to sit down and just be super negative and afraid of, of what's going to happen and not very, it's not very uplifting, right? But we were talking about how the world is so well connected these days. I mean, when I grew up and if, if I met a, a new friend on a holiday or, or someone, it would be almost impossible to keep in touch. I mean, you could write letters. I yeah. once had a French holiday romance with a man called <laughs> Frederic. I was 13. Why am I telling you this? We became pen pals. <laughs> exactly. Are you, are you That's how old I am. No, come on. Yeah, but it only, yeah, it maybe it lasted for maybe six letters or something. Yeah. And then they kind of faded away. And um, sometimes I think about those uh, kids that I met and, and you had some like beautiful memories. And um, what I really love about today is that you can actually connect like 24-7 or you can have a friend or relationship um, miles away. And I, I really love that. I think that's the beauty of uh, social networking. Nikolai, I don't want to be a doom monger, but I think we know that it may not be all sunshine and roses. <laughs> Yeah, as, as you put it, you got to be careful because mm. people don't want to listen to too many doomsday prophecies. I, oh, but hang on. You actually emailed me a few months ago a link to a story about people taking doomsday tours, like going to see the ice caps as they melt or about to melt. Like Some people do actually want to look at doomsday scenarios. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, these days I don't read too much about it because it's, it's too depressing. But I mean, I've, I've been like personally engaged with the whole climate change agenda for 25 years, actually, because I studied business economics and philosophy. And I had this um, sliding doors moment when I was studying both game theory or prisoner's dilemma, which is a mathematical way of showing how human beings are basically behaving opportunistically. What, what is that? Okay, so uh, game theory and in particular prisoner's dilemma, which is a specific example is a mathematical way of kind of describing how humans will act in a way where they think they are kind of optimizing their own situation, but really the outcome, the overall outcome is worse for all, basically. And I kind of, I mean, I know it sounds daunting, but to me there was to some extent the truth about human nature. And at the same time, I was studying like an early attempt at free P auditing, you know, people profit planet or multidimensional auditing. And through that, I was reading a lot about climate change already then. And I, I had this epiphany that like humans are profoundly opportunistic in their behavior and we've got a huge problem uh, ahead of us. So I had a, like, I picked up a bad habit of, of sending out these doomsday prophecies like to my friends so much that uh, a friend of mine is actually doing a documentary on that, like our relationship and why, really? why he didn't really respond to it. It's actually him trying to kind of frame me as a hypocrite because I've been so worried about the climate for 25 years, but uh, then I somehow still ended up making money off of uh, selling fashion, which he he finds amusing. (laughs) So we have this project where we explore that and I get to talk to a lot of people about how they see uh, climate change and my behavior within that context. So that's kind of... That's interesting. (laughs) It'll be interesting. 
So forget about fashion. I think, in, I, generally speaking, I, I'm afraid that we'll see kind of a large degree of uh, instability injected into kind of how we go about living our lives. Mm. I think a lot of people don't realize that although the world seems chaotic at times, still we manage to create a global society that's relatively balanced and, and stable. Like you buy property, you know it's not going to go away tomorrow or you can like take a plane and fly to New York and be sure you can get back again. And like there's so many kind of mm. things that makes this a stable world. And I think a lot of that is going to go away. Like things we take for granted, like, food prices and, and we talk about it a lot and obviously we're doing fashion that's not a inherently not a good thing to do and we talk about maybe we should just stop i mean talking about what we're just talking about but at the same time we're also trying to do it in a more responsible way i mean and if we just stop tomorrow there would just be someone else taking our place who was maybe not thinking about it all in the newspaper, you asked for a New York-based journalist whose name is Marjon Carlos to write an introductory essay. And she explains that you're collaborating with these 20 artists in different areas. But she writes, who are we going to be this decade? Hopefully, with a female perspective, something richer, more ethical, more thoughtful. After all, for centuries, our ideas have been dismissed, shortchanged or unsupported, and the world's been left struggling. And she goes on to discuss climate change. But let's talk about this idea of rising female energy. I think it's quite lovely. Like, not that there's no place for men, but just that if we shift the energy and the thinking and it's time for, I think it is time for female kind to be in charge. What do you reckon? Well, I would love that. I mean, for me, women is, uh, I think we could agree that we are more sensitive in our way of thinking. And I think that female power would be... Um, more um, holistic. We reach out to 20 different girls, women, and uh, some of them are people that we have known for a long time and worked with for a long time, like Anna Kras, for example. And then some of the other one is someone we just met. Uh, the last one we put into the project is Haley Blomqvist. Ah, so Haley is an artist who worked on an installation made out of recycled plastic bags for you, uh, right? Yes, exactly. For Nordstrom. Yes, exactly. Mm. And I've, I, what was so beautiful about this is that one of my colleagues came and he was like, hey, you you know, my friend in New York, Chloe Weiss, he just texted me, hey, look at this girl. She's super young. She's collecting all these plastic bags and then she's uh, doing this artwork out of it. Isn't it amazing? And then he went into me, my office and said, look at her. And then we, I wrote her. And then when she woke up in New York, she was like, oh, I really want to join this project. It's super cool. And one week after, she was, you know, at the New York office with the artwork. That's okay, amazing. You're calling it Ghani 2020-20. Yeah, I think the collaboration between these women have been so positive. I do like the idea that there's something in female energy, whether or not it's not gendered, it doesn't matter where you identify on the gender spectrum, but there's something about female energy. And I love that you talked about holistic. I think that's the root of it. Mm. I wanted to talk about or raise the Finnish prime minister. There was an article that I just read in a London newspaper trying to decode her power. Her name's Sanna Marin. And it was basically saying that scientists reckon, there's always a study for everything, <laughs> that women yeah. are more collaborative in power. Yeah. Collaborative and probably also more consensus-driven. How do you two work together? You're married. You've been working on Ghani for how long? Nine years? Ten years. Ten. Ten. Yeah. How do you do it? So you design. Yes, I, I mean, we are very different in what we do. 
So that's, I think that's why we work so good together because uh, I'm the creative part of Kenya. I'm the creative director and that's what I do. And that's the business side of it is very far from what I do. And Well, yeah, I, I used to look after the business side of things. I used to be the CEO. I stepped down a year ago and we now have a, an Italian CEO. But uh, at the moment I, uh, I look after the brand and I look after sustainability which are two of my favorite areas, so that's really nice. But I, I have a background in tech, so I obviously have a very, very profoundly different approach to a lot of things than mm. Dida. However, we also are very similar in lots of areas, Like, but it's probably a good thing that we don't kind of have to work together every day. I mean, we can go to work and not see each other. For I was going to say, because it's, I think that there's so many examples of duos in fashion or elsewhere having successful businesses where one side is excellent in one area and the other in the other and you can back each other up. But when you're married, can't you just not get rid of work? Do you have to bring it home to dinner every night? It's very difficult to avoid. However, like we've had principles in place that we kind of never kept, but like uh, we couldn't talk business after 10 o'clock at night or something like that. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah. At least you're trying yeah. to put right, some food trying trying. To, You have to. Yeah. But that's tricky. And, and kind of multiply that by the fact that we are both what you'd call insecure overachievers. So we are always kind of like a little uncertain about whether what we're doing is uh, done well enough and you kind of compensate by working more, which is, the, it's like, it's a great kind of people profile to have on board your team because like those people tend to work themselves to death. It's less... <laughs> not so, so good when it's I you. mean, it, it's no, not very exactly. healthy. Exactly. Exactly. That's the unhealthy bit. What would your advice yeah. be to anyone listening who is considering or already does run a brand with two people? They may not, they don't need to be in a relationship, but with that kind of dynamic of two people at the top. I think the most important thing is that you have different qualities. You should not be doing the same thing. That's just a bad cocktail because, I mean, then you're going to miss something. I think that's my best advice. So even though the idea of having a brand with your best friend or something, it sounds on the paper really good and fun, I, I wouldn't recommend that <laughs> unless you have different yeah. um, skills. I tend to agree. I mean, uh, you don't want like overlapping areas too much. But it's a little bit like uh, Dida often use football metaphors. Like It's a little bit like putting together a football team. Like you're going to kind of have like you need attack and defense and mm. midfield mm. and Are you a football fan? Yeah. yeah. I used to play a lot of soccer. I started when I was five years old. Really? And I was in the boys team because there was not a girls team. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, and I remember how I, when I started, I wanted to be the one who scored all the goals. That was my <laughs> idea of it. And very fast I learned that I was, that was not going to be me. That was not going to happen. So I learned that like to be a teammate, and that you could never win a, a match only by one. I love that you so, played football. Um, what yeah. did you want to do when you were a kid, apart from play football? Like when you were... Um... It was my everyday life. I mean, my dad was a coach and uh, it was what I did four days a week. Until what and age? Until I was 20, until I moved to Copenhagen. Oh, it was really your thing. Yeah, it was a big thing. Your I whole thing. Yes. And also I, I used to dance a lot. I love dancing. That was the thing for me. What about you? My dreams when I was a kid? Yeah. It pretty, Did you want very to be a ambitious. CEO? Yeah, CEO, yeah. professor or mayor. I don't know where I had the that The mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the secret to Ghani's success. I feel like if anyone wants to just experiment with this, just Google Ghani and you will find 
many, many headlines talking about how Ghani rules the world. Ghani is the most successful label. I'm going to share some with you. This is from Glamour. How Ghani came to dictate everything you want to wear right now. Or um, I was reading a story from Harper's Bazaar UK. It was about a year ago. I think it was October 2018. And it was like basically detailing how you're wiping the floor with the competition at Net-A-Porter, at Browns. I think they'd interviewed someone from Net-A-Porter who'd said, just keeps growing. They'd increased their spend by over 800% since launch on Ghani. Well done. Very kind of them. Yes. You look struck like you didn't know. No, but... <laughs> we never read anything no. about ourselves. I would never Literally. do that, no. It's like, you know, when you were a kid and you were, like, recording yourself, like, on a tape recorder... And I just hated to listen you know, to myself. It Are was you not going to listen to this podcast? <laughs> we will. I'm sorry I'm not because <laughs> I would be so, I know that I would be embarrassed that I would say something maybe. or my If you were in a Hollywood film, film, would you go and watch it? No. No, I don't think so. No. I think if people, I mean, when we went, and, and the show yesterday was really good. I, I could feel that the people really liked it, that there was like a positive reaction. And then we're going from the skate park to the party and we have like a 25 minutes uh, bicycling ride and it's raining. And after 10 minutes, we're like talking, oh, it was really good and I, I have a good feeling about it. And then I'm saying, but what are we going to do next? What are we going to do? The pressure of the next one. Yeah. Mm. So it's already, it's not something, I mean, you're never better than your last collection. And also I have a feeling the day that you feel that you're, too cool for school I mean then you're gonna lose so if you don't have that nerve or yeah sense of urgency then I think right it, maybe that's, that's about it. being uh, insecure overachievers like we're very very bad at kind of stepping back and appreciating what we've achieved uh, but if I were to ask you what the secret to your success if you like if you don't like that uh, what are the reasons for people loving Ghani we talked about fun and obviously it's about product but What do you think it is? We might say that it's about price point, that in a world of high luxury when you can only aspire to and dream of things that you see in the pages of Vogue, who's got five grand, there's something very appealing about a very charismatic contemporary label where it's just a few hundred dollars, even though that's still expensive. Mm. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, no, but I think you're right. I think it's the combination of a lot of things though. and then kind of leveraged by the daily grind. I mean, I, I sometimes think that too many people are looking for that like one light bulb idea, yeah. the vision How'd that will they take do it through. Yeah. And it's most of it happens in the daily grind. It's just all muscle your way through. And like have a clear idea where you want to go, but be good at course correcting. And then you just go about mm. doing your business every day. I think with Ghani, we partnered with this fun out of Paris two years ago. And I remember one thing that they told us was that we'd kind of disrupted the international fashion landscape. That's that's a quote from their analysis because we've maintained like a high fashion distribution and way of kind of telling our story and, and positioning ourselves all through the distribution we have, stores we work with, partnerships, collabs, fashion shows, et cetera, et cetera. However, we've kind of stayed true to what we like to think of as being an honest price point. Like we, we didn't come up with that concept, but I, I, we kind of took it over because I like the idea of an honest price point. Mm. 
Um, that you're not inflating, you're direct to, con- well, you're not your wholesale too, so yeah, you're yeah. not direct to consumer. No, no, we do a lot of wholesale, but, mm. and I think that like the price point is a product of the society that we've grown up in. Like it's a very balanced uh, society. It's, uh, we have like a long-standing tradition for designing and producing like uh, design items, furniture, fashion, ceramics, etc. That's uh, like, like high quality, well-designed, but made available to a broader audience. Uh, it's sort of egalitarian, isn't it, Denmark? Yeah, it, and Nordic it's very much so. Culture. And also technically because the state takes a lot of your income away and then redistributes it, contrary to, for, for instance, a US economy that's entirely driven by consumption. So it's a completely different way of kind of spending your money. And that means you have less to spend on fashion products. So sometimes when I see a contemporary fashion brand that's selling dresses at $600, I'm like, who can afford to buy that? I don't get it. Like it. So, Yeah, I think that's for sure. I've, I've been in retail since I was 14 years old. So I also I think it's also very much about the product. Being in retail in, for many, many years, I have seen so many women in the fitting room. I know all the issues that we have. And I know that, you know, where to cut a sleeve or... Like I love working with the thought about women's body and women. I, I want people to feel confident in their own skin. I want people to, when they wear Ghani dress, just to be the best version of themselves. And we're always fitting on ourselves. And I think that's one of the good mm. things. I meet a lot of women who's coming on and say, thank you so much for doing what? a dress that I actually feel good in and not bad about myself you know and it's interesting because I think that if you look on social media if you're not familiar with Ghani you may feel like well this is a cool young brand but I'll only buy things that have sustainable credentials but it's interesting because I'm not a skinny waif 18 year old so there is a kind of accessibility I really miss sometimes working in retail because I knew I was really good at, you know, when people came in and they were like I feel awful about myself I'm going to this wedding can you please help me and then, I mean, I got very high on that, like, I'm going to help you look your best. So let's look. I mean, you have a small waist or you have long legs or you have beautiful... Finding the best attribute yeah, to yeah. emphasize. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I, I used to be a buyer and I can't remember the year, but I just remember some of the like contemporary brand, they suddenly they got very expensive. And I had customers coming back every season and they would be like, oh, I used to actually afford to buy a beep dress but now I'm I can't why are they suddenly getting so expensive and I was like just to be honest I don't know the fabric is the same yeah. I'm sorry I really yeah. try to find something else so that has been a, like a big thing for my that I didn't we didn't want the prices to go up even though there was at some point pressure for some of the wholesalers like asking why why don't we just put up the prices I hear this quite often yeah which, again, you talked about honest pricing. There's something around brands just deciding. Certain luxury players have told me, I know it's true, that the strategy was, I'm pretty sure that we could find a business of fashion story to link to back this up, but certain luxury players around 2013 just decided as a strategy to up the prices by 20% in order to elevate and seem that they were more fancy. True. Rubbish. All right. I mentioned that, according to that Harper's Bazaar UK story, uh, Netaporte talked about, Demand just continues to grow. Nikolai, let's talk about that from another perspective. We can't have continuous growth on a finite planet. 
you look at the SDGs as a framework for part of your sustainability strategy. Mm-hmm. Number 12 is responsible production and consumption. Yeah. How do you square your rapid and exciting growth with the fact that surely fashion can't keep continuing to grow, grow, grow? Oh, it's, Deal it, with that on a hangover. Yeah, it's a <laughs> massive problem. Like It's a really a profound challenge that we struggle with every day. We talk a lot about. Do Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think we totally acknowledge that we're a fashion company that's trying to do better every day. We're not a sustainable brand. We, we don't want to be that. You actually and, say on your website, we don't want to talk about ourselves as a sustainable brand. Yeah, and for a long time, we didn't talk about it. But it turned out we had to because otherwise the, the, the agenda was being hijacked by increased awareness, luckily, over the past two years, but also a lot of like, brands jumping at it. Uh, what, so you felt like, well, hang on, we're really doing these things. We don't want to let these guys who aren't doing that much get away with... Kind of. It, the two things happened. I, I, we felt that a, some brands would kind of do a one-off uh, organic T-shirt or whatever and then call themselves sustainable. And you felt that it was a little shallow, that they kind of weren't capable of kind of taking a forward discussion on the topic. And uh, so that was one thing. The other thing that happened was that sometimes bloggers or media or just normal people out there kind of commenting on stuff would read through our website and then go out and claim that we were doing nothing in this area. But this is a real thing. When brands don't share information today in 2020, it does look like you're not doing anything. I think previously there was a feeling of, and I think you say this on your website, there's a fear of being called out for greenwashing if you're not perfect. But there's now an expectation. People want to see. Yeah, true. So we had to kind of go all in on that. But, I mean, obviously there's an inherent problem involved with doing a fashion product because we all know there's clothes enough out there and we're kind of beyond keeping ourselves warm. And... At the same time, we, we even live off of newness. So it's super tricky. And for a while, we even had like a discussion as to whether we should just walk away from everything. But on the other hand, that didn't quite make sense either because nothing would come out of that. Like 250 people would lose their jobs and uh, someone else would take over our market share like in a, in a split second and nobody would notice. So in the end, we concluded it was much better to kind of do what you do and just promise to do better every day. We also try not to talk about sustainability. We call it internally, at least, responsibility, like behaving responsible for, because, again, it's. I doubt that anyone can allow themselves to call themselves sustainable within a fashion context because it's just like, that's a, it's a contradiction in terms, basically. So there's a lot of kind of like, you need to kind of balance. You need to be very, very careful. Well, like which words you use and stuff like that, because it's still a very, very sensitive topic. Well, let's finish up by talking about what you actually do do. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we might look at carbon. We've been mapping our carbon footprint since 2016. It's always climate change has been one of our biggest priorities, and it's one of our UN global goals. We've been mapping it in order to kind of understand the magnitude and the impact, and also so that we could obviously work towards reducing it. And then we've been compensating that through subsidizing uh, the purchasing of cook stoves in Ghana and Nepal. It's a carbon credit that you buy. It's a much more efficient way of kind of uh, generating energy, obviously. So it consumes a lot less wood, basically. 
it reduces the carbon uh, footprint by 90%, and that's the kind of carbon offset you're taking over. Instead of just burning a load of wood on a exactly. or burning heaven for fend plastic. Yeah, mm. and then it has like it's nice side effects. Like the women are less exposed to uh, the smoke, basically. And also it's empowering because they don't have to walk that often to get the wood. But I mean, the whole kind of mapping carbon and compensating has to me been more about a huge disappointment that no politicians would kind of tax carbon because I think there's nothing like fiduciary punishment to uh, adjust behavior, human behavior, and no politicians have really had the guts to do that. So to me, it was always a matter of kind of like adjusting our behavior through kind of financially uh, punishing ourselves. It's a little, it's a very Protestant ethic we're applying here, but it, that was basically the core idea. What are you hoping to do in the future? You're going to launch a big reveal of your sustainability action points. Is yeah, that the, it? What's it, going on? 41 things, you said. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's kind of like a big uh, reveal. It's more, it's a tool that we work with on a day-to-day basis. And it, they are organized around people, planet, uh, prosperity and product. And then we kind of break it down into, uh, again, measurable KPIs. So it can be, it's carbon, obviously, but it can be anything. It's about designing for circularity. It's about like recycled and organic fabrics, but also newer and more innovative fabrics. It's about mapping mileage per employee, like flow, oh, wow. and trying to reduce that. It's about converting our tier one and tier two suppliers to not use coal-fired power. So I said it covers kind of like the entire value chain of our business. And also, I think it's so important that, and that's also maybe why we don't use the word uh, sustainability, that this is less about just buying an organic cotton. It's more about like, how is the product designed? How is it produced? How is it sold? How is your product consumed? And what's the afterlife of the product? Like, how is it taken care of? So it's also about rent, like we've launched a rental platform. I was about to say, do you you want to talk to us about what you're doing with rental? You've just launched it in, in Denmark. That's something that um, we're super proud of at the office. It's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you buy a dress if you're going to a wedding or a party or something, and maybe you would only use it once or twice, or to be honest, that's just how it is. So we have this rental platform where you're able to rent a dress instead of buying it. You pay one amount and then you'll have it for... You can decide yourself how long you want it. And then we're taking it back and get it dry cleaned and then another person can rent it. Have you had much take-up? No. Yeah, I was talking to um, Cecilia, who is the CEO of Copenhagen Fashion Week, about the big excitement that is rental, but she said that she feels that broadly brands are starting to offer it, but that customers aren't ready and they're not taking up. No. However, part of us launching it was also me talking to some, like, 15-year-old kids. And if you observe how they consume a fashion product, they're basically already renting it in the sense that they, they would never buy a dress like, and thinking that she would pass it on 20 years later to her daughter. They kind of buy it, then they have it for a month or two, then they sell it to a friend or just online through Depop or like local versions of that. So it's fluid, like the way they perceive and consume their wardrobe. So I'm sure it's going to come. And we knew it was early days. I mean, we're ready to test it and it's not going to go away. We're about to launch in the UK and the US. Oh, cool. And we need to kind of tweak a lot of parameters to figure out what works and what doesn't. It's about price point. It's about categories. It's about the type of product, et cetera, et cetera. So this is just the beginning because we need it to be profitable. 
because otherwise it would never prevail. So it's an exciting project, really. We started out talking about like what's the 20s going to be like, as it says, like printed on our headquarter at the moment. And like one ambition that we are kind of pursuing is that in order to kind of fashion as a concept that's based on newness to be justified in the future, we need to kind of figure out how to do, it's a working title, but an impact-free or impact-neutral product or collection. So that's kind of like the biggest ambition we have for the next 10 years. And we, we put projects like that in a, a department called uh, Gany Labs, which is kind of like a, a virtual department, but that's where we put the more kind of innovative projects. And that's like the overall ambition. And it's good to have a hopes. And I do feel that when I met Nikolai, he was going on and on about global warming and climate change and then organic food and everything. And I was like 26 years old and I was more about where's the next party. I mean, 15 years ago, I don't think you would have a podcast like this. No. Especially not in the fashion industry. So I think there is hope because now we're talking about this every day. I mean, you don't meet any journalist medium who's not asking about this. It's uh, If it's not the first question, then it's at least the, the second. And I think that's very positive because it brings some kind of hope. You we are doing some, something <laughs> and we want to do different and we want to be responsible. You two bring me hope and positivity <laughs> and you're a right laugh and I love that you do karaoke. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's getting hard. My parents feel that this is a waste of time. I don't go away because everything is just fine. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you where, okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you